This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Testimonies for the School of Ministry were just both so dynamic. I wish I had captured that on my cell phone because that was really, really good, and I'm so proud of the way that um, you guys shared this morning. I was going to start by talking a little bit about the School of Ministry, but they did a better job than I could ever do it, and so well done. Um, I'm looking forward to the graduation tonight. Uh, This was our first School of Ministry in the United States of America. Um, when I first started, I was handwriting the notes and um, getting them typed out and shipped to Pastor Bob, and he would be teaching it within the week, and that's how we started. Now we have over 280,000 students worldwide um, in nine languages, and we're about to go into two more languages in the next few days, and that will be Arabic and uh, Swahili. And that will just open up so much bigger range and scope of ministry for us. Um, To reach the million students is is not, uh, well, I I don't like saying students. Really, I'm not after students. I'm after world shakers. Uh, Men and women that are God-possessed, that are established in the Word. And, And like was said, it's not standing behind the podium, but it's the podium of your life that affects your world and releases the love, the power, the light, and the Word of God into your world. And we're well on the way, and so tonight I will get into a little bit on the vision for the School of Ministry and the impact in the lives of the students. By the way, my oldest student was 96 years old from a church in Saskatoon. She was saved in that church at 14 years old. She had never left that church to that day which really speaks of being a solid citizen of the kingdom. When I said to her, why are you studying? She looked at me with amazement and said, I've still got a few good years in me to serve God. I need to be equipped. (laughs) Correct. You're not too young and you're not too old. You're at the perfect age to be equipped for the work of ministry, the believer's ministry. And so we'll get into that tonight in the graduation. I want to get straight into the Word of God. As Pastor Rob shared last night, I met with some of the leaders uh, in this house, and I was sharing on a subject that I entitled All-In Leadership, All-In Leadership. And a few months ago when we were putting these meetings together, Pastor Rob and I shared, and I said, I've been teaching a few subjects this year. One of them is all in. Now, of course, when I say all in, I say it with a South African, Zimbabwean accent, all. You say, how do you say it in the South? I'm from further south. If you actually go further south, which is closer to heaven, it actually is all. So let's just try that. Humor me a little bit. I want to help you speak right now. All in. Because it sounds weird when I listen to myself all in. It doesn't, it doesn't even sound the same as you all. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's all in. And all in means 100%. Nothing held back. Boots and all. No reserves. No retreat. No backout plan. 
And that is the spirit that is found in the ancient church and must be the spirit that is found in the last day's church. We will not accomplish the work that is needed to be done if we're going to be half-baked, lukewarm, average, mediocre, gutless, weak-kneed, namby-pamby believers. It's going to be all-in people that are going to be world shakers, history makers, and that will bring God's redemption to a very hardened world. One of the things that I've studied this subject is about a cultural shift that is needed. One of the things that I've studied uh, of late is that the modern-day church needs a cultural shift from westernization. And even when I go to Africa and India and, 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 and different foreign nations, everyone is trying to be like America. They, they embracing westernization. And we don't need westernization in the church. What we need in the church is the culture of eternity the culture of heaven, because when, what happened is when the devil saw that persecution could not stop the church, and why could persecution not stop the church? Because the believers were all in. They didn't care if they lived or died. They lived and died to the glory of God. And so when the devil could not stop the advance of the church, the advance of the gospel, he made a strategic change. He said, if I can't get the, the, the church to stop in its advance because they are all in, they don't care whether they live or die, they are all in. So what he did is he brought paganism and secularization into the church, and in so doing diluted the gospel, got people distracted from the call of God where they, instead of being lovers of God, they became lovers of pleasure and lovers of self and, and unloving. And instead of having the power of God, they had a form of godliness that denied the power thereof. And so that secularized thinking has become established in the Western church. What we need to do is to get back to the kingdom of God, to the rule of God, God's business done God's way. And so the subject all in is about a cultural shift that is needed to take place in these last days. Uh, tonight um, I will be doing the graduation, but on Monday night I will continue on this theme of all in. Um, the, the great primitive missionaries that went to the foreign field, whether it be Africa or the islands or Central South America, they definitely, when you study their writings and, and uh, writings about them, they were all in people. There is no doubt about it. And one of them that epitomizes this is a man by the name of James Calvert. Um, he went to the Fiji Islands, and at that time, the, the people that inhabited the islands were cannibals. And the ship captain, as he was taking them across the Pacific to get to the islands, tried desperately to persuade these people, uh, James Calvert and those that were traveling with him, to return back to their nation. He said to them, you shall surely perish. And James Calvert came back with this classic answer. He said to the captain, we died before we came. We died before we came. And that is the language of the all-in believer. 
Now, you'll say, you may breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an evangelist. That's good for them. It's not good for me. Here's the thing is that James Calvert did not say that as a missionary. He said that as a follower of Jesus. The all-in spirit is not the spirit of the missionary. The all-in spirit is not the spirit of the evangelist, the apostle, the pastor. This is the spirit found in every believer. When Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, they abandoned everything and followed Jesus. That became the anthem of the New Testament church. They forsook all to embrace eternal life and him who would die for them and give himself for their salvation. And so the spirit of the primitive church is found in that all-in action, abandoning everything because we are placing him in the highest place as first and as all in our lives. Jesus was the ultimate all-in person was and is. (laughs) He was and He is and will forever be. He is the ultimate all-in person. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love. And so we find the ability to lay down your life for something bigger than yourself, whether it be for the salvation of the world or whether it be as believers laying down for a cause bigger than ourselves, the gospel, the advance of the church, serving in the calling of God that is unique upon your life, can only be, and Pastor Bob spoke about this in the offering, can only be motivated by that which is the most powerful force in the world, and that is the force of love. No greater love than this, greater love. It's love that caused Jesus to go to the cross. It's love that causes us to lay down our lives for Him, just as He laid down His life for us. This is all seen in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God, which is a ridiculous statement if you look at it superficially. How can we mere mortals be imitators of the divine? How can we be imitators of God, who is the creator of heaven and earth? And I meditated in that for a few moments, and I thought the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words would not make a demand on us that is unachievable, that would put us in a place of perpetual frustration. How can we be an imitator of God? But here he writes, inspired by the Spirit, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. It is only possible to be an imitator of God when you are born of God. When you are born of God, you are born of the Spirit, and you have now entered and seen the kingdom of God, and it is possible to therefore conduct your lives in the attitude that is found in God, the attitude of what? Selflessness, 
living as, uh, as God has called us to with love as our supreme motive. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given. He's not asking you to love and to sacrifice out of your own energy, even the love that you have, the faith that you have, the walk that you have, the life that you have has come from Him. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. When it says walk, it means to conduct your life perpetually in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, here again we see this uh, act of redemption, this act of supreme love where he gave himself for us. That's why I say Jesus is the ultimate all-in person. He gave everything. He went to the altar of sacrifice, the cross of Calvary, to become for us our scapegoat, our redemption, our lamb slain for us, a, an offering, not just an offering, a sacrifice to God, taking our place, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. He gave 100%. This is also seen in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. The focus here is not husbands and wives, even though it's embedded in there. The real focus is, yeah, as Christ also loved the church. How did Christ love the church? And he gave himself for her. This love is an act of redemption. It is an act of sacrifice. It is giving himself 100%. I want to make a few statements based on that. All in living means living sacrificially. It means living for something bigger than yourself. All in can only be inspired by a vision that will benefit someone else. Everything about redemption is not for yourself, it's for someone else. And so this vision is bigger than ourselves and it counts for eternity. All in uh, life is only possible when it's motivated by the agape love of God, this pure love, this love that comes from the divine and penetrates our lives by the Holy Spirit who has been given. We cannot love this way out of ourselves. It is not humanly possible. It is only possible through the new creation, through the new birth, through the, new, uh, the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. Jesus, of course, is the demonstration uh, of the love of the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave. And you'll see, parallel to all in living is the law and the life that is found in the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave. Christ, having loved the church, gave. He gave Himself a sacrifice. It is only possible when it is motivated and inspired by this highest level of love. I was watching uh, a little bit of the, the, um, the United States women's football team playing in the World Cup. And towards the end of the game, they start sending on reserves. Have you ever seen, you see that in football, you see that in basketball, you see that in uh, just about every sport. Uh, in the old days, when, when I played rugby, we were only allowed to have two reserves. So once you, you were injured and your reserves were injured, there was no backup. 
you had to then play with one or two or more people short in the team. Today, they've expanded the rules and allowed more reserves. There was no backup plan with God. When He sent Jesus, Jesus came as the last Adam. There was a first Adam, natural man, and there's the last Adam. He's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. Because if He was not the last Adam, then there would be a backup plan. There could be a third Adam, a fourth Adam, a fifth Adam. But there was only two Adams, the first Adam and the last Adam. God had no back out or backup plan and, and that is the spirit of the all-in. There is no reserve. There is no other way. When you give yourself, there's not a bailout opportunity. It is 100%. You give yourself 100%. The very nature of redemption is sacrifice. And it is best defined as being all-in. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. When it says just as, it's referring to He came in this way. We are to conduct our lives in the same way. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life, and to give His life a ransom for many, sacrificial living. Jesus did not give some of his life. He did not give most of his life, but he gave his whole life. He held nothing back. You see, today in the church, many people give some of themselves. They may even give the best of themselves, but they don't necessarily give all of themselves. The act of redemption is the act of sacrifice where you give 100%. I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19. It says there, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Stuff. Second best. We were not redeemed with second best. We were not redeemed with even precious things. But we were redeemed how? Uh, by the precious blood. The best. The all-in of Christ. Do you understand? So the very nature of redemption is the best, all in, 100%, the blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So He became this sacrificial lamb on the altar of sacrifice where He laid down His life. Why? Because of His love for us and because of the love of the Father for us and because of His love for the church, he held nothing back. He gave himself. Now, this kind of act can only come when you know who you are, what you've been given, and where you're going. You can't serve and live sacrificially if you are insecure in who you are. You have to be secure in the new creation. You have to know who you are whose you are, what you've been given. Otherwise, you're operating out of a motive that could be, what do I get out of this? There is nothing that you get out of this. This is where you give yourself like He gave Himself for us. In the same way as He laid down His life for us, we lay down our lives for a cause bigger than ourselves. I was reading... Uh, 
Abraham and his journey. And I want to pick this up because Abraham epitomizes the all-in. But you'll find something that is going to maybe give some of you comfort. Abraham, even though he was all-in, wasn't always all-in. It became a journey of faith. It became a journey from glory to glory. And I know people that give themselves to the Lord, then they find themselves giving themselves back to themselves, back to the Lord, back to themselves, back to another, and they feel this guilt and the shame and this inability to be true to the end. And I want to bring some comfort to you as we look at some of Abraham's walk of faith. In Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 and 4, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now God spoke to Abraham and gave him a promise, and Abraham chose to obey God. Abraham was revealing that he is attempting to be an all-in person. To be all-in means you've got to forsake something. You've got to leave something behind to get where God wants you to go. And herein lies a problem. Many people want to be like the Israelites. They want the promised land, but they also want some kind of the insecurity found in a very insecure world called Egypt. They want the promises of God. They want the anointing of God. They want the power of God. And they want to leave their father's house, but they also want to somehow kind of hold on to what they've got. They're trying to live in two worlds. And herein lies a secret. If you want to live the all-in life, you're going to have to forsake one for the other. It's very hard to live in two worlds. Even Jesus said you can't serve two masters. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're placing Him in the highest place in His rightful place as ruler of our lives. You cannot live in two dimensions successfully. You have to leave the one for the other. And He was leaving the past for the possibility and the future and the promise of God. Just like Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their families. Why? Because there was something greater that he had promised to them. Just like the mantle came on Elisha, he had to leave his plow. He had to leave his oxen. He had to leave his mother and father, his land, to pursue the call of God upon his life. We are all, as was said in the testimonies, called by God. We're not all called to stand on a stage behind a podium, but you are just as called. You are called out of darkness into light. You are called out of sin into righteousness. You are called out of your bondage into freedom. You are called by God. You are also called to be an ambassador of God. You can't live in two worlds and do both jobs well. And so you have to make a decision, just like Abraham, will I get up, will I go after the things of God? If you don't make that transition, you will always be anchored in your past, and then your walk will become very frustrating. You have to make a decision to be all in right up front. 
Now, even though Abraham became known to, uh, to us as the father of faith, he wasn't always in faith. At times, he faced fears, doubts, unbelief. He made compromises in his life, and uh, he failed. But uh, <laughs> the Bible calls him in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 21, and not being weak in faith, it says of him. <laughs> but he was weak in faith at times. And we are sometimes in our walk with God weak in faith. I'm glad that the Bible records Abraham in faith. It doesn't take us into account his weakness. God views us through the blood. He views us through the act of redemption, not in our guilt, not in our shame, not in our uh, uh, broken promises. He sees us through the act of redemption. Hallelujah. It's called amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So if you have been struggling in your pursuit to be all in, there is hope because Abraham was not always all in. There were times when he was half in. With times when he was trying to preserve his life and work it out in his own effort and energy and in his intellect, the things he faced, we face also. But God brought him through, and God, the God of Abraham, will bring you through as well. It says, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Well, he did consider his own body. There were times when he looked at himself, this is impossible. And Sarah herself laughed and mocked at the possibility because of the deadness of her womb. Since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet he did not waver at the promise of God. Yes, he did. Ishmael. <laughs> so on one hand, we can be all in, and at other times, we have Ishmael's. We make wrong decisions trying to work it out, but I'm so glad that God is patient, God is kind, God is merciful, God is gracious to us. Otherwise, who would have the right to preach on being all in? Jesus, the only voice of all in. Everyone else has failed. Ultimately, there came a point when God said to Abraham, now take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. And there was no hesitation. He grabbed the fire, he grabbed the wood, he grabbed the knife, and he took Isaac, his son of promise, and he said, we're going for a walk up the mountain. And he, he was actually willing to plunge that knife into his son. And if you understand anything of covenant, it's not just plunging a knife into his heart. It's cutting his body and opening it in half. Splitting him. He was going to do that to his own son. Why? Because he believed God would raise him from the dead. He believed when he came down the mountain, his son would be walking with him, resurrected and raised by God. How did he get there? Because he was all in. We have to, like Abraham, go where God sends us. We have to do what God tells us to do. 
We have to give our best, just like Abraham gave his best. When logic screams at you and says, stop, you can't do this, you have to override that with a voice that is louder, the voice of God. Otherwise, it is very difficult to become all in. When you listen to logic, reason, secularized thinking, you will be persuaded away from the things of God. You'll start to make compromises that will hinder your advance, your growth, and your walk with God. Just like Abraham, there's a deep sense of calling and destiny on each one of our lives. Just like Abraham, we have to have a focused vision and leave the past to pursue the, fu- the future. We have to live with no regrets or distractions. We're going to run after what God has called us to do. We can't have a heart of fear. We have to have a heart of faith. We have to pursue these things that God has placed upon us, and His grace and His mercy will be new upon us, and even when we fail, He will be quick to lift us up and to restore us. I was reading uh, in the pursuit of this subject the, the Apostle Paul And he spoke the all-in language. I want you to hear the sound of the all-in language. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want you to notice that that's the language of the all-in person. I count it as loss for something greater that I've gained. When you have the all-in spirit, you don't feel cheated out of life. You don't feel like God has somehow ripped you off. You live the blessed life. You live the prospered life. Even though he suffered, listen to his next words, I have suffered the loss of all things. Even though he suffered the loss, he did not feel ripped off by God. That's the language of the all-in person. He says, and I count them as rubbish, even though the world may think that is valuable and precious. He says, that is rubbish in comparison to what I have gained. God will never rip you off, and the demands that He makes upon your life and from your life will never rip you off. You will never be the loser. You will always be the winner. And as Pastor Bob says, He will always outgive you. Even when you give yourself, you will gain life eternal and the abundant life. Hallelujah. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Whoa! That's heavy-duty language there. But if you want to be truly all in, this is something you're going to have to consider. It's not always just... Uh, the, the pleasures, the prosperities, the abundance. There's also this glory, this glory in suffering. And here's what I found many today in the westernized church. They want God. They want eternal life. They want the blessed life. But they don't want anything that will inconvenience them, take them out their way, and cause suffering. That's why I call it soft-bellied, gutless, namby-pamby, weak-kneed Christianity. 
And many live in that realm. They feel cheated out, but I'm telling you, there is glory. There is great glory in the suffering. There is great, great glory in living generously with your life to the point where he, just like he placed his life on the altar of sacrifice, where we'll place our lives on the altar of sacrifice. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Notice he doesn't say, of my life and prosperity. He was giving himself for something bigger than himself. Herein is the spirit of the primitive church. Herein lies the power to walk in the authority, to cast out demons, heal the sick, move mountains, and bring God's change into our world. It's in this attitude that it's done. He makes this demand in 1 Timothy Chapter 4 and verse 15 of a young pastor that he's mentoring by the name of Timothy. He says, you've received gifts and abilities. Meditate on these things. 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate on these things, what God has given you. Give yourself entirely to them. Here's what happens in the modern day church. Pastors want to be nice. They want to be kind and gentle. They don't want to come across as too harsh, too strong, too demanding. And so we don't say give yourself entirely to them. What we say in the modern day church is, listen, what you can fit into your busy schedule, we just want you to do what's comfortable for you. I was listening to a worship leader on, I think it could have been Hillsong, and he's saying, if you feel comfortable, raise your hands. We've become so soft belly that leaders today don't want to lead. We want to lead in a comfort zone if it's comfortable. Well, maybe laying flat on your face is uncomfortable, embarrassing, possibly humiliating, but it may be exactly what you need. And instead of saying, give yourself partially, Paul is unashamed to say, give yourself entirely to them. And as a result, because ministries today are, are, are embarrassed to put a strong demand on the people, they're getting exactly what they expect, low levels of commitment. Today, I want to come to you as a leader in the church and say, we need a shift. We need a shift from Western secularized thinking to biblical thinking. We need a shift in our language that is the same and lines up with what God's Word says. Instead of thinking, how can I escape? We should be looking, how can I abandon myself into something that will count for eternity, that will bring glory to God? That was the spirit that caused the primitive church to stand in the face of hostility, persecution, suffering, and to advance in the gospel. Now we in retreat instead of being in advance. Why? Because selfishness prevails. Comfort zone prevails. If you can accommodate it. No, we should be making the, the, the demand that was found in Jesus. Follow me and I will make you. There should be a followership that makes people to become what they ought to be. I mean, I was listening to the testimonies and they were great. The true struggle people face, a two-year commitment, a two-year commitment. Well, what about a commitment of your life? Is this going to become a Are we going into being equipped for two years, or is this going to become a lifestyle? 
I'm going into my 46th year of full-time ministry. I study more now than I studied as, a, as an early Christian. I know more, and the more I know, the more, more I realize I need to know. And the Word has shaped my life, but there's still so much more shaping that needs to be done. And instead of backing down and resting on past successes, I've got to keep pressing with the same intensity as I began. My last days have to be greater than my first. I don't have the luxury of sitting back and saying, well, I've done so much. I've still got energy. I've got ability. There's much to be done. And I don't have that luxury to sit back and say, well, I've got two doctorates. I can give myself another one today if I want. And say, give myself another doctorate today. What can I give myself a doctorate today of? Hmm, the doctorate of all in. (laughs) You can have all those diplomas, certificates, degrees, and recognitions. But what that does can also make you comfortable, settled, and you lose that pioneering spirit that causes advance, the journey to press through. And you just become someone that can talk about what God did instead of what He's doing. Give yourself entirely to them. And that advice should be the advice that we as leaders give you. You called. You're anointed. You've got a gift that you should be stirring up. Give yourself entirely to it. Not partially. How are you going to heal the sick, cast out demons, reach the lost, disciple the found, help build the church if you give yourself partially to anything? Show me one scripture where God allows us to give ourselves partially. You shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart. You shall serve the Lord when it's comfortable. Don't run hard after God. Follow Him softly. Show me one scripture that allows us that kind of tolerance that has entered the modern-day philosophy of leadership that causes people to come to church on their terms, enter into the kingdom on their terms. Where's God, God in the church today? Where's His Word, the supreme? Listen to the Apostle Paul. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let me put that into everyday speech in Leon's unpublished translation. Give yourself entirely on the altar of sacrifice. Hold nothing back. Don't keep the best for yourself. Give the best to God. Give your life 100% that He may find you acceptable. I've got to close in about six minutes. I was doing a baptism in Africa. Baptism is a, is a commandment that Jesus gave to the church. It is not just a religious tradition. It is something that Jesus commanded. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them. And so water baptism shouldn't be seen as an optional extra. Why, it's an identification 
with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just as when He was crucified, we were crucified in Him. When He was buried, we were buried with Him. When He was raised, we were raised with Him. In other words, it is an identification with our redemption. It says something to God. It says something to angels. It says something to principalities. And it says something to the church. And it says something to the world. It says to God, I believe in you. It says to angels, I believe in God. It says to demons, I have followed God. You no longer have control over my life. I'm crucified with Him. I'm buried with Him. I'm raised with Him far above all principality and power. It says to the church, I'm with you. It says to the world, I'm no longer with you. <laughs> this was a classic. This lady, the tribe I worked with, they loved to drink water, but that was about it. Bathing was in a bucket. Why? Because they lived in villages. They didn't have running water. But what freaked them out is that spirits would appear to them out of the water. That was the place of meeting with the, with the spirit world. To become a witch doctor, you would be submersed in water for days, and you would come out with great authority and power and work your magic. That was their way of entrance into the spirit world. So to get people to be baptized <laughs> was an act of faith. Why? Because that was freaky stuff that was happening in the water. When they put their offerings to their, to their spirits on the water, the water would swirl and consume it before their eyes. And they knew that the offering had been accepted. So to get in the water, you can imagine, it violated everything that they had been brought up with. The superstition was a way of life for them. An owl meant death. If they had a bed, if they had the luxury of bed, they would put it on bricks because the demons were small. And if they were on the bricks, the demons couldn't get to them. These were the kind of things they had. And water was one of the things that freaked them out. So eventually I got these believers to go down to the water to be baptized. And this one lady, she was big. This mother, she was big. I got someone to help me because I thought if I put her down, how... Am I ever going to get her up? It's going to take two of us, and we're going to have to put our backs into it. Anyway, she decided she's not going under the water. She put me under the water. She put him under the water. We both were baptized and rebaptized. <laughs> Eventually, I grabbed her, and I jumped on her, and I pushed her under the water, and her arm was out the water, and she's trying to grab me, and I, and I wanted her arm also to be baptized. Why? Because we don't go into the grave partially. We go into the grave entirely. <laughs> baptism means to be immersed. Not some of you, all of you. And baptism is an identification of how we ought to live. We're immersed in the things of God. We are buried to the old life. That's not your arm is free, your leg is free, your head is free to stay in the world. You are immersed. You are buried with Him to the old way of life. You've risen in the new way of life. The all-in spirit is found in the act of baptism. 100% of you goes in. And 100% of you comes out and lives for the glory of God. It's not some of you is baptized, but all of you is baptized. I think I'll close at this point. <laughs> I've got so much yet to share. Monday night will be a marathon night. Just come bring in a soft seat and um, we'll stay for a while.
but it's very important what I'm going to share on Monday. Um, I want to share on Monday the sin of partiality. Remember when Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, he said, if God be God, serve Him. If Baal be Baal, serve Him. You've got to make a choice who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve the world? Or are you going to serve God? You've got to make a decision. All in people serve God. And so we're going to look at the sin of partiality. Joshua said to, to the armies of Israel, when you get into the, uh, and you take the city, 100% of the spoils belongs to God. Bring all the gold, bring all the silver, bring all the precious stones to the temple, to the tabernacle. And what happened is Achan kept some of it for himself and caused devastation in the whole of Israel. It didn't say Achan suffered, it said Israel suffered. And because of the sin of partiality, the church is suffering. It's not just the people that are compromising that is causing the, the restraint in the church from the full force of faith. It is the Achans in our midst that is affecting the whole spiritual climate. So we're going to look at that. And then also on Monday night, we're going to look at, in order to be all in, you've got to be all out. You can't live in the world. You've got to come out from amongst them. I'm going to talk about sanctification, what it means to live the sanctified life, how to walk in the authority and the ability and the power of God. You have to have a, a separation between you and the world. And so if you want to be challenged and taught and trained how to operate in the dynamics that will cause you to walk in the authority and destiny that God has placed upon your life, Monday night is for you. Now, how do I bring this into a close? The spiritual life is the all-in life. <laughs> the very nature of being spirit-filled or God-possessed means you emptied of self and you're filled with God. It's all-in. The, the life of redemption, the redeemed life is all in. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, He is in you. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The very nature of the new creation is the all in. The nature of the spiritual life is all in. The world-changing life is all in. Everyone who's going to make a difference in their generation is going to have to be all in. To be all in means we've got to abandon ourselves uh, to something greater than ourselves. I believe God's calling us to be that kind of a people. That's why I'm preaching this message with such force. I believe we have to be the true church, the last day's church. We can't just be another good church in the suburbs. We've got to be a people that will carry the redemption of our God with a sense of urgency. I was thinking of the three pillars that Pastor Rob shared with me as we were traveling from the airport, the pillar of discipleship, the pillar of evangelism, and the pillar of community. Uh, we need that, that life. Our community is the community of faith, our fellowship together with the purpose of being equipped, trained, discipled. Why? So that we can carry the gospel. We need to have a soul-winning move in this nation. With the churches losing ground, it is not possible unless we be all-in people. We cannot have that kind of dynamic in reality. We can have it as diagrams on a screen and in intention, but unless we abandon ourselves to that, 
will never fulfill the call of God. For me, it's reaching nations. For you, it's touching your world, making a difference in your world. Your world may be 50 people around you. It may be 100 around you. It could be 1,000. And for some of you, the nations. To do that, you've got to be all in. It's for the least, and it's for the greatest. It's for the youngest, and it's for the older, for the oldest. None are excluded from the demand that Jesus made upon our lives. And that is, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. That's the language of all in, and follow me. You have to leave something behind to get what God's got for you. You can't live in two worlds. You've got to come out and be a part of his citizenship, his nation, his people, his family, a part of the church. That's why you're baptized into the body. When you're in the church, you're no longer a part of the world. Your community is the church. Your family is still your family. Your culture is still your culture. Even if you grew up in a, in a culture like me, an African culture, but I don't have an African culture as my supreme culture. I have the kingdom culture. I'm still African, but I'm kingdom where the kingdom overrules African, I don't think African, I think kingdom. And so we have to make these shifts. Stand with me and let me bring you into a close and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor Rob um, or whoever's going to take over from me, Pastor Rob. Now, even me, while I was preaching, I was challenged by me. How many of you were challenged by me today? But you weren't really challenged by me. You were challenged by God through me. It was, I was speaking the oracles of God. Do you notice there was very little that I had to say? Most of it was Scripture that I read to you. Have you noticed that? Because I'm a Bible preacher. I don't have much to say other than what the Word says. All I can do is take what the Word says, define it for you, and how to make it livable in your life. And you notice I didn't take one scripture and build an isolated doctrine around it. I laid it out for you, one scripture leading into the other, showing you that this is authentic New Testament living. How many of you feel like, well, I've got to make some shifts in my life. There's got to be some change. Anyone out here where you feel like, well, I've got to make some shifts. There's change that's needed in me. I haven't been all in. I've been mostly in, but there's also been a lot out. I need to become all in. Anyone feel like that today? Raise your hands and let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you demonstrated in Abraham. You were so kind to him, so patient with him, even when he failed. And God, we acknowledge that we at times fail. We miss it. There are times we're all in and then there's times we're not. And God, please forgive us for when we're not. When we let you down and we let the church down, we let the kingdom down, we let the gospel down, God, please forgive us. Cleanse us from unrighteousness. Cleanse us from half-heartedness. Cleanse us from being double-minded and unstable in our ways. God, help us to be secure, rooted and grounded in faith, standing and built upon the rock, the sure foundation. God, today I ask you that you would work deeply in the hearts of your people and you would bring about this change, this radical shift 
where they would be 100% all in, not half-hearted, half-baked, lukewarm, but all in. God, you said that those that, that, that had lost their first love, in other words, they were no longer all in, that they were unpalatable to you, that you would vomit them out your mouth. God, we don't want to be those that are distasteful to you. We want to bring you pleasure, God. We don't want to be in half-heart. We want to be fully in love with you. So God, please forgive us for the loss of first love and restore us in righteousness today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. 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 Now, now here's the thing is, if you came into this meeting, and please listen to this, this is critical. If you came into this meeting and you have never received Jesus as Lord of your life, or you've come into this meeting and you're in a backslidden condition, you've left your first love and you've been loving others and loving self and having idols, something that consumes your time, effort, and energy, and really you've been worshiping those idols, you've left the worship of God, and today you want to get your life right with God. Before I hand over to Pastor Rob, if that's you, raise your hand. Leon, I need to get right with God. I want to pray for you specifically. Just raise your hand all over this place. Leon, I need to get my life right with God. Who is it? There, who? Now you're just wiping, yeah? You're wiping your brow or you say, that's me. That's me, good. Who else? There's others. Come on, I know this business. This is my world. The way I love, there's others. I need to get right with God. Who else? I want to give you opportunity not to miss God. All right, over there. Who else? Half-hearted, half-baked, lukewarm, loss of first love. I need to be restored. Who else? Jesus must become Lord of all. Now, Lord God, for those that have raised their hands, please meet with them today and bring a radical shift in their lives. God, let your redemption flow into them powerfully, cleansing them from guilt, shame, that God, they would not have a sense of nakedness, but righteousness. Restore them, build them, grow them, that they may serve you and honor you all the days of their life as they make the shift, oh God, in acknowledging the need for change. Please, God, work a miracle in their lives and let today become the first day of the rest of their lives where you are Lord of all, where you rule supreme in their lives, King of kings, Lord of lords of the universe, but specifically be their King and be their Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, let's give God a shout of praise as Pastor Rob comes. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.